Hi, I'm Geeta Nandikotkur, Managing Editor, Asia and Middle East with Information Security Media Group. I have with me Chris Correa, Cyber Intelligence Services Head for Lockheed Martin's EMEA Cyber Intelligence Practice. Chris shares practical, real-world tips on tackling the top three myths surrounding cybersecurity. Chris provides practical insights on how to build a world-class network defense organization to fight new threats. Welcome, Chris. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. You have been talking about intelligence-driven defense strategy to enable customers to analyze intelligence left behind by attackers. How does it help organizations? So really at Lockheed Martin, we experienced our first major cyber attack in 2003. And it was back then that we really came up and understood if we were going to get ahead of these advanced adversaries, we needed a strategy and a framework. And that framework was our cyber kill chain, which enabled us to analyze attacks in a consistent method to drive intelligence from those attacks and to put those mitigations in place consistently across our organization. From that, we derive what we call intelligence-driven defense strategy, which quite simply means that every decision we make as an organization is based off the intelligence that we've derived from our internal threat environment. So not intelligence we've seen from some third-party threat feed, but something that we have seen within our environment and it's a threat from the intelligence that we've actually seen. So, so do you see that more increase in insider threats, basically? Uh, yeah, you can use the same strategy with insider threats as well. But what we've focused on was more the external threats and collecting intelligence on the external threats. Okay. But it goes both ways. Okay. Building a world-class network defense organization, it sounds too idealistic. So is there a systematic approach to that that you work Yeah, there really is. So for us at Lockheed Martin, we, it took us really almost 10 years to get to where we are today. And so what we've been able to do is take our 10-year journey and really shorten it down to two to three years for global 1,000 and Fortune 500 customers and the like. And the systematic approach we take is really all built around people, technology, and a framework. Uh, so we'll come in, do an upfront assessment, see where they are, see where they are from a maturity perspective. Are they reactive? How can we help them get to more of a proactive security stance, all while basing that off around our intelligence-driven defense strategy? Do you use certain kind of tools or how does it work when you want to really align people, process, and technology? <coughs> what has been your approach? Yeah, so our approach is really driven around our cyber kill chain framework. So it essentially, it is the framework that all of our analysts follow to derive intelligence from the attacks like I mentioned earlier, but also to put mitigations in place. So our technologies we measure against that framework to see are we getting our return on investment. The resiliency, we can measure uh, the defense in depth of those strategies. So essentially, everything that we do as an organization is based off of that framework, and that's really what drives us. So we developed our framework, the Kill Chain, in 2009. There's numerous variants of it out there now. And to, to be honest with you, uh, obviously why, why I would sit here and say Lockheed Martin Kill Chain Framework is the best one. Uh, what's most important is that organizations are following a consistent framework uh, so that they're all reading off the same sheet of music when it comes to security. All too often, I've been in situations with customers where they have a lot of really smart people, but they are all taking different approaches to solving the same problems. What are the shortcomings that organizations yeah. are facing when it comes to building good cyber defense? I'll tell you what I've seen. One of the biggest ones is overturn of leadership. 
you often see that CISOs and CIOs and those types in organizations are there for one to two years and then leave. And it's very hard to build a culture of security within your organization that everyone falls if you don't have that consistent top-down leadership. So what happens is one CISO comes in in 2015, spends about two years there, gets everyone working on a certain framework, one path, and then he leaves, goes on to another organization because he wants more money. Another CISO comes in and basically <coughs> takes apart everything that the last CISO did because he needs to make a difference and starts a new strategy. And you can never get consistency within your organization when you take that approach. Uh, so do you think it should be technology-focused then to build an ideal strategy? I actually think, well, obviously technology is important, but you need to have a strategy within your team and that will drive what technologies you're going to put in place. So all too often, a lot of companies, our experience has been is that they, they go out and rely 100% on their technologies and not as much on their people or their processes behind those technologies. Coming to this now, you've seen a lot of changes over the last year. So what has changed and what is new now and what kind of technologies would really make sense when you want to build a real resilient cyber defense? Well, really, over the last three or four years, the big thing you hear about is threat intelligence and cyber intelligence and actionable intelligence, you know, relying upon technologies that are getting intelligence from external sources, not necessarily something you drive from your internal environment. So what we really focus on, yeah, why we have our own technologies that we sell at, you know, as a commercial cyber organization, but we also, we focus on the fact that, you know, we work with a lot of partners, we're vendor agnostic. And the key thing is that you need technology that gives you that visibility to make decisions based off of what your internal threat landscape is, not what some vendor or some external threat feed is telling you. So coming back to analyzing intelligence, how do you do it and how does it help in anticipating future attacks? So for us, it's the CyberKill chain framework. So it's seven steps that every attacker must take from reconnaissance to weaponization to delivery, to exploitation, to installation, to command and control, and to action on objectives. So what we literally do is we analyze every attack based off of those seven steps. We drive intelligence. So we'll take an IP address or wherever that is at, at the delivery phase and say, have we seen this before? Yes, because we've been using this framework for two years. We saw it two years ago. It's associated with this adversary. And it really gets to the point where we only have to stop the adversary at one of those steps, but the adversary has to continuously change his techniques and his procedures and get through every single seven steps. So he has to be right every time. We only have to be right once. And then we consistently apply our, our mitigations against those strategies. So I mentioned technologies earlier. We align our technologies up against the framework to ensure where do we have gaps? Do we have gaps in delivery or in weaponization or in exploitation? Uh, where do we have duplication? So that is really how that entire framework drives what we do. But I'm sure every company, every CISO has been trying to follow this skill chain, cyber skill chain method. But still there are a lot of gaps, right? Mm -hmm. So what, what else needs to be done? Like I said earlier, I think it's, it's top-down leadership. Having the commitment from the CISO to stay there for the long haul, that's the one thing. I think sharing of information between groups of, of organizations, like-minded organizations, uh, the CERT organizations out there as well, is very important. We do a lot of information sharing. So while we drive our own intelligence internally, we vet that against what have like-minded defense contractors or other organizations seen out there. That's what we really encourage with our customers to do as well. That goes a long way. I think the days of working in a stovepipe and not not sharing what, what attacks you're, you're experiencing internally are over if we're going to get ahead of these people. So biggest concern today across APAC, you also must have heard from your sources here, is ransomware, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they've been putting all the controls in place, but still there are a lot of vulnerabilities. So how do you create defenses? 
Uh, ransomware, that, that's a tough one. Um, so we've been fortunate in that we are very much locked down uh, internally with our organization because we've been doing this for, for a long time. However, we are experiencing it. They're targeting everyone. Uh, we are driving as much intelligence from what we've seen. Our customers are experiencing it. And the biggest thing that's helped us with the ransomware is the information sharing. So back in the UK, we have the cyber information sharing platform or portal, I mean, which has both government, it has uh, industry, and it has this uh, certain UK all involved in sharing information together. And I think that's probably the key thing for, for trying to get a hold of the ransomware problem that we have right now. You spoke about open source intelligence analysis also, right? How do you use this and what's the impact does it have? Yeah, so I actually have a team of open source intelligence analysts also. So essentially, this is looking at publicly available information and driving intelligence from it. So think of big data analytics out there looking at what's available on the internet and then making conclusions from that. So for example, you look at LinkedIn, you take an organization like Lockheed or any big Fortune 500 organization, their defenders are posting a lot of information out there on LinkedIn, their CVs, their resumes, what technologies they've worked with. So what we're actually able to do and what the adversaries are able to do is take that information, use big data techniques, harness that, and actually see about you know 90% of what the actual technologies the company is running is. Because John Doe said, I'm experienced with these technologies, while Jane Doe said, I'm experienced with these. And our thing is, if we can do that, so can the adversaries. And if you're an adversary, you know, who are you going to attack? Someone who you can test all of your malware against before you even deliver the attack? Or someone that you don't you don't know anything that they're actually, uh, what technologies they're defending with? So that's just one example of how we use open source intelligence for our cyber defenses. So in the next 12 months, do you see what, what is the biggest change that you expect? It's, it's interesting. You know, I look at when I started this back in 03, all the things we were saying back then are now be taken, being taken serious by boards of directors and by, you know, heads of, of nations, in fact. And I think over the next 12 months, one of the biggest focuses, it's scary, is, is focusing on the OT, the operational technology side. So the, the ICS, you know, your industrial control systems, putting down power grids and the like. I think that's something that won't only impact organizations, but it has the potential to impact entire nations. So that's what I would like to see people take more seriously. Thank you very much, Chris, for Thank your insights. You. Thank you very much, Ita. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Chris on Building a Resilient Defense Organization. This is Geetan and Kutkur from ISMG. Thank you.